0: If y'all would, turn in your Bibles to Psalms 1 and Psalms 2. Psalms 1 and 2. We're starting a new series, uh, and it's called Worship and Wisdom. Worship and Wisdom. And we're going to look at the Psalms and Ecclesiastes. Uh, and in looking at the Psalms and Ecclesiastes, we're going to talk about worship and wisdom together. Uh, and we'll start, uh, for the next six weeks, we'll be looking at particular psalms with a focus of of worship. There'll be a little wisdom, and we'll move into Ecclesiastes and be a focus on wisdom with some worship and how they are tied together. But as we do that, I I just want to start. I want to ask a question of all of us. Simple question. Uh, What is the good life to you? What is the good life to you? What makes you happy? What makes you happy? There was some rejoicing going on, going down yesterday, you know, all over. Uh, And praise God, there was some rejoicing going on here this morning. Praise God. The whole idea of worship, as we just sang about, and we're going to see in the Psalms, it's this question that the Lord convicts us up: What do we worship? Worship is making happy. Worship is like, this is what I give my all to. It's what I give my offering to. So what's the good life? What makes you happy? What do you delight in? What do you meditate upon and say, if I have that, I'm good. To delight and Meditate. We're going to start with Psalm 1, but uh, before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about the psalms in general. What are they? The psalms are truth, psalms are poems, and psalms are a book. Truth, poems, and a book. One, they're truth in that they're God's Word. They speak to our minds and our hearts. Uh, Many have called the psalms the whole Old Testament in miniature, and the Psalms are the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. they are also poems. That's probably what we most often think about as the Psalms. But David, and I love David, many of you do, is a man's man, but he had a very soft heart. He wrote many of the Psalms. And they're also a book. But what's interesting, and you may not know, is there are actually five books in one. Over the next six weeks, we'll, we'll just only be in one of those five the first 42 psalms. But it's one book, and they all point to Jesus. You know, a, a very interesting verse Jesus said after his resurrection, Luke twenty-four 44, I'm going to put it up on screen. Look what Jesus says. Look at what he adds. He says, he said to them, to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled. The Psalms always point to Jesus, and we'll see this in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, which is really an intro, both of it, into the entire book of the Psalms, and Psalms 1 and 2 are very, very much about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But I want to get back to that original question, because that's a question that convicts our hearts. What makes you happy? What is the good life? Okay? And I saw this weekend or over this week a a magazine that I thought most reflects what makes us happy, what is the biggest idol of our heart in this culture. Uh, An idol is really a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. Hear me very clearly now, because what I'm going to throw out will step on toes. Steps on my toes too, okay? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying these are good things that become ultimate things. I saw this magazine, it was called Invitation Oxford, okay? And it's not an Oxford thing, it's not a, you know, Ole Miss, it could be Invitation Startville, or it could be VIP Jackson, it could be Invitation New Albany, it could be, you know, wherever it is, and you know the magazines, and you just pick one up, and I did, and I flipped through it. All right, what do you mean by that? That's the idol. Well, you look in it, it's how we dress, how we look, uh, it's our families. It's all about families, white picket fences, you know, and having this ideal look and, you know, hanging in the grove and, you know, just showing off who we are. And it's got a lot of homes listed, you know, these you can buy and real estate and property. I mean, it is the look. It is the image that so many of us want. It is the biggest idol. And I say this unapologetically. It convicts my, It is the biggest idol. That we face down here. Just that look, that feel. Can I get an amen? Maybe I'm off. Amen? Amen. It is. Different other places in the world, they're different idols. New York, money, Boston, how many books have you written? DC power. Here? It's that look. Wherever it is, it's that look. And that's the lie of the devil. Hey, if I have this, I'll be complete. Many of you have it? You complete? So, we look to the Psalms because Psalms 1 and 2 talks about what we should delight and meditate on as we confront the idols of our heart. Again, they're good things. They're good things. I mean, I love my family, and y'all know me. I mean, I love some college football, and I love particular places. They're good things, but it's when they become the ultimate thing, becomes problems. So Psalm 1, let's just read it. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Stop right there. Psalm 1 is a contrast between the righteous person and the wicked person. Psalms 1 is about a man. Often we can read Psalm 1 and think about, well, this is you know, who, I'm a, who I need to be as a man or if a woman. This is the person I need to be. Actually, though, Psalm 1 is about the only righteous person that has ever lived, Jesus Christ. So Psalm 1 is a picture of Jesus. And see, the only way we can be right, I don't, know, I don't know how you know Christianity, is by getting his righteousness, by what he did for us. It's like, you know, Christianity is not about what you do. It is about who you love, period. need to get that. So the only way we can be right is, to look to Jesus. And it contrasts this man who is totally and completely righteous and then the wicked. And it says, The wicked are the sinners. They sit in the seat of scoffers, they walk in the counsel of the wicked, they stand in the way of sinners. You need to know this. We all need to know this. Sin is gradual, sin happens gradually. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. And I used to do this, too. I used to admire celebrities. You know, it's okay, admire celebrities. Talk about magazines, you know, celebrity magazines. You start admiring celebrities, they become an idol for you. It's gradual. Then you start having questionable friends. It's gradual. Then all of a sudden, you're in a lifestyle that you never even planned. It's gradual. Then you're constantly scoffing others who aren't there. You begin to mock others. One writer called mockers missionaries of wickedness. You're like, ah, I don't disagree with that because, you know, I kind of mock all the time. and you know, we can do that very subtly. Really? Well, I mean, we're putting people down. I mean, I've mocked folks for. I watch you, You mock folks now. Amen, sweetie? Yeah. That was her. amen. And it is seen in our hearts, and it's gradual. It's gradual. It starts with those idols in our heart. And so this psalm is saying there's one man who never did this and never will. And looking to him, we can get his righteousness. But then it goes on, it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. I ask you that again too. What do we delight and meditate upon? Say somebody's saved. Many of you, you know, are saved. That is a biblical language. It's also churchy language. But I think an indicator... When someone is saved, they love God's Word. Like, they may not know it all. They may not understand everything. But there's a love, like, I want to know God's Word. Like, I want to understand it more. I mean, it, it can take my whole life, and I may be at the tip of the iceberg, but I want to know God's Word. There's a love there. You delight in the law of the Lord and in the Bible. And then you meditate upon it. All right, I don't meditate. What do I do? Just some practical tips, you know. First, we start with reading it reading it daily, maybe taking a day off, a Sabbath, it's okay, but reading it, meditating on a verse that, like, speaks to you, that the Lord is speaking to you. Uh, I love taking a, a little note, you know, and just writing down a verse, taking it with me during the day, keeping it in my pocket, music, talking about worship, and meditating on these verses. To what do we delight and meditate upon? Then it says, if if we look to Jesus, who will be in this world? Verse 3, it's like you're planted by streams of water. You're planted. You're planted in a place. There are no accidents in Christianity. No accidents. So when you are planted, God is saying, you are here. This is where I have you. You will grow roots that will be deep. You will grow branches out into the world. You will bear fruit. You look to Jesus, to Him, we delight and meditate on His Word, and then He grows us in a place. And then the end of this first psalm it says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The biggest question for all of our lives, and you're like, Man, I, I got a bigger one, but let me just say this. Indulge me on this. The biggest question of our lives is this Are you living. Life isn't like, who am I? And many do, especially our youth or young folks, like, who am I? I gotta find my gifts. I gotta find my way in life. I gotta find my purpose. Or instead, is your life? Is your life asking the question, whose am I? It's a big difference in that. Who am I, or whose am I? You live life, whose am I? And you know the answer: that you're the Lord's, you're the Lord's child. That regardless of where I am, regardless of what happens in my life, He will use. There are no accidents in Christianity. I am His. It's a big difference from struggle. And I see so many people struggling with this, struggling over and over. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Whose am I? The Lord's. He'll take care of it. I mean, that, that's, that's really, I mean, that, that is the essential question of, of our life. You live in it. Who am I or whose am I? Now, when I'm moving to Psalm 2, you're like, why don't you just end with Psalm 1? Actually, Psalm 1 and 2 are known to be one psalm together because it starts with a person, a man, Jesus, looking to Him and what that impacts your life and then going out into the world. And Psalm 2 is more about the world we live in, the world and a king who we just saying about who rules over that world. Let's read Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations rage? Why do the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, you know, you read the Psalms, and I know some of y'all may like poems. I mean, they are poems. So it's not like a narrative, not like a literal. So, like, some of you are like, what is this all saying? Let me break it down again for you. First thing, this Psalm is saying that the Lord is is ruling, but the world that we live in is totally opposed to him. It's like, I don't know if if you realize this or not, And we're called to be in the world, and I love being in the world, but the world is opposed to the things of the Lord. This psalm just said it. You know, a a toxic, deadly combination is something we face uh, every day of our lives. You know, I, I hesitate to say every minute. I wish it wasn't every minute, but sometimes it can be every minute. The toxic combination of the sin that's in us And the devil who attacks us and the world we live in is a toxic combination that sometimes just gives us little chance. It does give us a little chance on our own. And so the world is opposed. See, the world tells us, I mean, I talk to people and, you know, our elders talk about people and pray about people that are, you know, the world is just hitting them. The world is saying, hey, check this magazine out. Like, this is life. This is good life. This will make you happy. The world says you can straddle the fence. I mean, you, you can have this and then, you know, dip your beak in at church every now and then or, you know, crack open your Bible every now and then or just believe Philippians 4.13, my favorite verse. I can do all things Christ. If you still have this, you know, you, you can live here. The world will say that. The world will say, hey, you've got to have this to be in crowd. And, you know, you really want to be in crowd, you know. You got to do this, you know, and we can list them from drinking to partying to sex and all those, but also the greed or, you know, just the lust or, you know, having your, you know, ladies on the side or your, or maybe it's just your social club. Saying you got to have this to be cool, to be in. You got to do it. That's what the world is screaming at us, and it's opposed to the Lord. It's opposed to the Lord. So this psalm is saying, well, what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we cope? The psalm tells us. We saw it beginning in Psalm 1, Psalm 2. We can know the Lord's anointed is over this world. I like to say it like this. You know, a lot of us Christians, we always think of Christianity that it's like Star Wars. Who's like jacked up, excited for Star Wars to come out? Anybody? Anybody? There you go. Amen. Wake up. Wake up, Star Wars. What are you saying? What are you saying? I am. Christianity is not Star Wars. You know, the dark side and the light, like equal sides. That's like Hinduism, just so you know. Christianity is like God's over all, Jesus' over all. So everything else, world, devil, sin, would be under the Lord. That's what this psalm is saying. There's a king over all. Anointed, verse 2. The Hebrew word for that originally means Messiah. The Greek word for that means Christ. This psalm is saying the anointed is over all. Verse 4. Interesting. Only place in the Bible that said God laughs. Look at that. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. All those opposed? All those like, you know, I'm going to checkmate God, the devil too? God's laughing. Holds them in derision. And he says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Literally meaning, it is all under control, it is actually all good, even though we can't see it without our own eyes and the way we look at things. I mean, there's cancer, there's, you know, uh, refugees flooding a continent, uh, there's disease, there's all this stuff in the world, and you look in God's Word, and Christianity's like, I got it, I got it. Now, some of you are like, well, how's it, tell me how he's got it, because You know, I look at the world, I look at my life, and I don't, like, see often the hand of the Lord. Just a couple examples, okay? Uh, Do you know 70% of all Christians live outside North America and Europe? 70% of all Christians on the planet outside North America and Europe. 50% of all missionaries outside North America, Europe. There are more Christians now who've came to Christ in the Middle East in the last 25 years than previously in the last 1,400 years. A straight up fact, this is truth, okay? There are 3 million Arabs who are now Christian in the Middle East. 2 million converted from Islam. I say all that because I was trying to think of some examples like, you know, I mean, we freaked out on ISIS and everything, and yet God's working. He set his king on his holy hill. He's like, I got this. It's like, amen, amen. We need to see that. We need to know that. Then it says, closing up here, verse 7, he says, you are my son, today I begotten you. Again, talking about Jesus, that he sent his son to us. He sent his son to live amongst us. To live, breathe, laugh, cry, die, rise again. With us. Then he says, He will come again. Verse 8, verse 9. I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He is coming again. A lot of stuff that we've seen over the last year, you're like, man, where is the world going? That's a great question. Where is the world going? I'll tell you what, it's going counter cultural towards Christianity, it's opposed. And it's being more and more explicit. But Jesus will still come again. And he won't come as you see him up there, which I love that stained glass window. But Revelation does say he'll come on a white horse. And he'll come in power. And that's the truth. We believe that too if we're Christians. We'll see it in Revelation as we start to study. So this psalm, both these psalms, end in an Invitation. It says, kiss the son. Remember? Remember that definition of Christianity? It's not what you do, it's who you love. Kiss the son. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Verse 10 up before it says, be wise. Be wise, rulers of the earth. Worship in wisdom. So it is an invitation for us. First, to look deep at the idols of our heart because they are there. I've got them too, real idols. And they're good things. They're good things. But they so easily become ultimate things and they are what we worship. And so the invitation is to turn from those and trust in Jesus. To delight and meditate in Him to shift our life, to shift your life from saying, who am I? And I know a lot of you because that's the question I get asked. And I've asked that. Who am I? Who am I? Shift it to whose am I? I am the Lord's. He is my Heavenly Father. He made me. There are no accidents in Christianity. He gifted me. Your life can be an offering to Him whether you humbly serve in a church, are you humbly serve in what you think is a cool spot on earth, or you just humbly serve your neighbor? You're like the Lord's going to use me. He's got a plan. He sits on his holy hill. He is the anointed. So whose are you? Seriously. To what do you delight and meditate on today? In these psalms. It's an invitation. Turn. And trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive me, the idols in my heart, the things that I just believe in the lies of saying, if I get this, I'm good, I'm content, I'm happy, and the void remains. I pray that all of us can turn and trust in you. I pray we can give you our worship in our lives and that it will resonate Not who we are, but whose we are. And we are yours. And we can rest in that fact that you purchased us by the body and blood of your son on the cross. And when we simply turn and trust, we're yours. And you give us life. You give us purpose. Convict us of the idols of our heart. Let us turn to you fully. In Jesus' name, amen.